In our last lecture, we examined Lyotard's treatment of postmodernity. I explained there that Lyotard was an invaluable thinker for grasping the philosophical stakes of the post-human condition. This was because Lyotard typifies the move from postmodernism to posthumanism. Lyotard's diagnosis of postmodernity as an incredulity to meta-narratives saw the potential for a radical refiguration of the human being as a heteronymous subject embedded in a plurality of overlapping language games. However, postmodernity also unleashed the metaphysics of development, where all meaning becomes equivalent to market efficiency and the profit motive. As such, there was grave danger inherent to the postmodern condition, and that was where we equate the logic of development with progress, creativity, innovation, and indeed the general advancement of civilization. This time I want to look in more detail at Lyotard's text The Inhuman. This text came out about a decade after the postmodern condition. By this time, Lyotard had adjusted his position. In The Inhuman, we see Lyotard develop his analysis of the metaphysics of development. Here, he more forcefully shows that our thoughts and actions are structured even more deeply by techno-scientific culture. In the postmodern condition, the synthesis of science, technology and capital led to the possibility that humans are viewed as purely informational beings. In the inhuman, it is assumed that this shift has taken place, that technologies, communication and science are reproducing humans as only technological forms of social life. So what changed? Well, the computer became popular. When Lyotard published The Postmodern Condition in the late 70s, people did not have personal computers mobile telephones, and the internet was in its infancy, at least as we understand the internet now is ubiquitous. The Inhuman assesses the implications of how social interaction is becoming computerised globally. Knowledge produced by science and applied in engineering and technology is inseparable from the life world, the Lebenswelt, or the lived experience of human action. One could go as far as to say that life world is the expanding information network of techno-scientific systems. For better or worse, humans are reproduced socially by information networks whilst replicating those systems at the same time. The post-human condition is a better descriptor than, than the postmodern condition because of the diffusion and saturation of information and communication technologies. In this lecture, I will explain the Inhuman's reconceptualization of technology as a type of inscription. By inscription, Lyotard is referring to developments, information and communications. The expansion of communications has specific consequences for how we experience time, space and cognitive perception. This will then enable me in turn to explain how Lyotard reconfigures the question of temporality to understand an inhuman resistance to our inhuman systems. I will conclude the discussion of Lyotard's famous essay, Can Thought Go Without a Body, which explains alternatives to the logic of development. The logic of development, which Lyotard laid out in the postmodern condition, has not receded. In the decade between the postmodern condition and the inhuman, it is not as if advanced capitalism stopped scientific and technological innovation. Only... Now the proliferation of computerization augments the commoditization of science and technology. Specifically, the domains of artificial intelligence and artificial life mediate all aspects of human interaction. While the human is largely a collection of essays, the common leitmotif is that 
Language, meaning and memory have been irretrievably transformed through computerization. Whether in the domain of simulating human cognition through artificial intelligence or the simulation of embodied life in artificial life. The shift from the postmodern to the post-human condition Leotard sees is defined by technical inscription. Inscription is a term I'm using for writing in the broadest possible sense. All writing is in some sense technical. However, Leotard is more interested in examining how writing functions in a technological context. Leotard's use of writing, or graphe, is very expansive in its meaning, incorporating information, communications, as well as data transfer. Normally, if we think of inscription, we might think of the content of a book or something engraved on a headstone or a personal message written in the front pages of a gifted book. The function of writing here is basically narration. In addition, another function of writing is as a memory preserver. The inscribed marks retain a past which has departed. For example, the inscription on a book might be a memento of a special occasion or a birthday. Inscription is thus a mark and a type of preservation. In another sense, inscription is also entwined with forgetting. The inscription does the rememorizing for us, which shows us another function of memory, which is as a retrieval tool. Inscription, however, becomes radically transformed in a culture dominated by artificial life and artificial intelligence. Traditionally, inscription and writing were carried out orally, mythologically and materially in written texts. So, for example, parchment, paper, metallic signs, walls and so on. Hence, inscription implies an act of temporal narration. Stories function at the intersection of past, present and future. A story preserves a past event or recalls it, it recounts it in the present in order to inaugurate a future. If we strip this structure down further, we could say that narrative is informational. While it might not be as poetic or romantic, what is a story other than something which preserves information about the past, which informs us about the present and provides prospective information about the future? Anthropologically, this task has usually been tied to geography, locale or culture. We could think of foundational myths like Zeus and Kronos, the Book of Genesis, Romulus and Ramus, or the innumerable stories that are so essential to contemporary filmic tales of superheroes. While philosophically we tend to divide mythos from logos, still a trait of narrative is its intrinsic persistence. Narrative myths and stories have a habit of sticking around. Nietzsche even made a virtue of the cyclical resurgence of narrative with his appraisal of the myth of eternal recurrence of the same. We can see here that narrative as something common to all cultures, even if stories are enunciated in very different ways. But what happens to a story in a computerised society? With the proliferation of the logic of development, as well as the expansion of artificial intelligence and artificial life, Narrative is superseded by what can only be described as an informational metaphysics. This is to say, we become constituted through global networks of informational transferal. Lyotard sees such a global networking effect as having three distinct consequences. Firstly, in the essay Logos and Techne, or Telegraphy, Lyotard suggests a primary consequence of the extension of technoscience is that of delocalization. Narrative becomes no longer tied to place, culture or ethnicity or even nation-state. In this context, a foundational myth of ethnogenesis no longer makes sense. 
in the wake of new technologies, the life world becomes unmoored. This, of course, is not something which happens overnight. Lyotard saw that this process began with the unmooring effects of the Industrial Revolution and its technological innovations in coal, steam and electricity. Once the Industrial Revolution is amplified in the Computer Revolution of the latter part of the 20th century, humans become post-human in the sense that we are now deterritorialized. Technoscience unroots us from our embeddedness in particular cultures. You might ask what all this means. Don't we still inhabit a regular place irrespective of where we are? No longer for Leotard. Within global communication networks, we are now vectors of consumption, which are possible, desirable and valid outside of given territories at any given moment. And this is what Leotard means by telegraphy, or what he also calls writing at a distance. The second consequence of technological uprooting is deterritorialization. The deterritorialization of time works in a similar way to the deterritorialization of space. If we think of time in an everyday sense, we can think of calendar time, seasonal time, watch and work time, minutes, seconds, hours, years, and so forth. We can think of time as either qualitative and quantitative, as Henri Bergson did, that is, as numerical, numerical and countable are intensive and felt. Time in these ways tend to be split between time as measurable and time as a form of remembering. Lyotard follows Bergson here to a point. With the extension of technoscience, Lyotard thinks the time of modernity is quantitative rather than qualitative. Time becomes a matter of scanning rather than remembering. Scanning implies a new form of inscription memory where time is flat. By flat, I mean time is not associated with any of the things we might normally associate with time, such as specific memories, habits, cultural repositories or memorials. Time is becoming the same everywhere. For example, if we take the recording of this lecture, you might say that the creation and reception of this event implies a profound difference as I speak to you. With my disembodied voice, like the voice of the great Oz across the planet's time zones, one might argue that the reception of this data is done in a variety of different cultures, geography and states of wakefulness. But in another sense, I think you might see what Leotard is driving at. The reception of the data that is this lecture, after it is mediated through computer hardware, software, word processors, audio recording and editing satellites, the internet, until it gets to your device. What has occurred is a making present of radically different times. All times are now present. As Leotard figures, the time of remembering exponentially exceeds our ability to comprehend it experientially. There is now in existence more information than we can possibly remember. The effect of this informational saturation is that our temporal life is less a lived issue, which in turn leads to a hypertrophy of the will. What Leotard means by this is that the effect of detemporalization is that we lose our sense of reactivity. Reactivity fades into scanning. By reactivity, Leotard means our spontaneity or our responsiveness to the immediate times we inhabit. Time after the technosciences is instead thought of as series or serial. And what is a series but a sequence of discrete events, objects or concepts? The point being, time thought in this way is numerable and extendable to infinity. Time thought thus equates to an absolute memory, 
which of course is not available to the cognitive limitations of the human subject, quite simply because we forget. Memory is stored, circulated and recycled through vast networks of computer storage. And this type of absolute memory is effectively not memory, at least memory in the everyday sense. If memory is to be memory, it must involve the act of retaining that which is forgotten. In absolute memory, nothing is forgotten. And the only thing that can forget nothing is God. For Lyotard, it is clear detemporalization leads to dehumanization. After all, there is nothing more inhuman, some would argue inhumane, than being an immortal God. In Lyotard's own words, and I quote, It is clear that with technoscience in its current state, it is a power to put in series that is at work on planet Earth, and that the human race is its vehicle, much more than its beneficiary. The human race even has to dehumanise itself, in the sense that it still is still a biocultural species, so as to rise to the new complexity, so as to become telegraphic. The term telegraphic should be distinguished from the normal sense we attribute to the word telegraph, that is the apparatus used for sending telegrams, although the meaning certainly has its roots in that. Rather, the telegraph is the culture of technoscience, which absolutely transcends all limits of space and time and locale. The third consequence of the expansion of the realm of technoscience is the transformation of our cognitive faculties. Contemporary machines carry out operations that were once carried out by mental calculations. We are familiar with calculators and their negative effects on our abilities to carry out basic arithmetic, or chess grandmasters who are more frequently becoming beaten by computers. These examples are symptoms of the transformation of memorization and recall. Again, Lyotard was quite prescient. The effects of artificial intelligence, where information is mediated through digitization, entails items of data can be synthesized anywhere and at any time. Thus, information is indifferent to the place and time of their initial reception and realisable at a remove from their time and place. According to Lyotard, and I quote, current technology, that specific mode of telegraphy, writing at a distance, removes the close context of which rooted cultures are woven. It is thus, through a specific manner of inscription, Indeed, productive of a sort of memorization freed from the supposedly immediate conditions of time and space. The question to follow here would be as follows. What is a body, body proper, social body, in telegraphic culture? The latter question, Lyotard asks, gets to the heart of the matter. What does a body or a body of perception look like in a world dominated by telegraphic inscription? What we get is an immaterialization of perception. While I would hesitate to suggest immaterialization could be equated to spiritualism, there is a sense that this is what Lyotard is implying. Our cognitive perception of reality in a world dominated by the proliferation of technographic inscription has something godlike about it. The information distributing itself in global communication networks is beyond space and time. As Lyotard suggests in the essay, Time Today, and I quote, the electronic and information network spread over the earth gives rise to a global capacity for memorising, which must be estimated at a cosmic scale, without common measure with that of traditional cultures. 
Elsewhere, he compares global communications networks to the Leibnizian God, with communications network providing a perspective transcending all perspective in a timeless network. One can see here how transhumanism might welcome such a situation. And you can also discern here the pursuit of immortalism and phenomena like mind uploading and cryogenics. How does this quasi-spiritualization of technological communication network relate to a transformation of cognitive perception? Technologies based on electronics and data processing are less dependent on physical dareness, or as Leotard puts it, less dependent on the conditions of life on Earth. Our immediate physical appearance of the world becomes no longer germane to a basic experiential grasp of the world. Leotard's anxiety is such new technologies distort our cognitive perception. As with the logic of performativity and development in the postmodern condition, our immediate experience, as well as the way we spontaneously derive meaning from the world we inhabit, is mediated by computerized digital processes. Only that which can be computerized is that which is meaningful. I think a simple example would be useful here. Recently, an elderly gentleman who I regularly sit next to when I go watch football became alienated by the football team's introduction of smartphone ticketing. This gentleman did not have a computer, an email address, nor a smartphone. This individual, who by his own admission had poor mobility, had to travel a couple of times a week to pick up a printout version of his ticket, which was a massive and trying inconvenience. Eventually, with much toing and froing, we got the football club to send him an old-style season ticket covering every game. While this must have been challenging and alienating for our lifelong season ticket holder, the point here demonstrates Lyotard's idea, which was that the football club's technological processes were restructuring social relations. Because our football fan fell outside of the new processes, his status disrupted the smooth and efficient technological uh, process of the new system. In this situation, only the technological processes were considered as valid, valid candidates of meaning. In addition to this example, I'm sure some of you might be familiar with the phenomena of nomophobia or smartphone separation anxiety. That feeling we get when cut adrift from the technological information and services we require now to operate our lives. The philosophical point is that our technologies are extensions of ourselves to such a degree that we can no longer disentangle immediate experience from mediated experience. For Lyotard, the more sinister outcome of this state of affairs is the reduction of all meaning to computerized meaning where if language is not coded, communicated, nor mediated, then quite simply, that which is human is becoming obsolete. It should be noted Lyotard was not necessarily saying we become obsolete, only a certain understanding of ourselves as experiencing sensuous beings does. What would this type of human look like? Because of the delocalization and detemporalization of cognitive perception, this new type of human would be less concerned with the ability to loc events, locate events in the present. The transformation of cognitive perception entails an, an inability to determine time and place. A further consequence of this post-human thought is derealization. Derealization, a term Lyotard used in the postmodern condition, means an unmaking of our experience of immediate reality. An unmaking into what, though? Our new human functions through rational and abstract calculations. 
this does not necessarily mean that we think more mathematically and logically in the first person. Rodrit means humans are vectors of informational transference. Our dispositions, cognitive syntheses and immediate sin certainty are thought of as isolated nodes in the processes of global communications networks. Another consequence in the transformation of our cognitive perception is thus a destabilisation effect. If the latest technologies unmoor us from our intuitive grasp of immediate experience, this implies a cognitive destabilisation of the immediate givens of consciousness. With technological consciousness expanding beyond ourselves, it follows consciousness becomes fundamentally representational rather than being constituted from a direct presentation of objects to consciousness. There's a point here connected to artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence often operates on a computational model of the brain. Say if we take a robot, the idea would be that a central neural network, brain, would represent external data to make the robot function. It would not necessarily need to be a robot. We could think of how the central processing unit of a computer takes in information from software and projects a representation of that information in apps and programs. Leotard does have an objection here, and that is that this model of thinking is not actually how human beings think, who are formed in the act of synthesis of embodied cognition in a world. However, this does not preclude the fact that our conventional perception of the world cannot be transformed in a form of computational model. Leotard thinks that this is what the expansion of technological prosthesis accomplishes. Here our thoughts look very different. Our thoughts, our mental content, reproduces itself in a form of discrete networked images and sounds. We think now in a mediated way, where the thoughts we have are essentially not ours, but a byproduct of some technical calculative process. Computerized thoughts are pre-calculated, but they are also replicable. That our thoughts are not at all our own is an interesting idea. Our science fiction continually warns us of the possibility that our robots and machines will become like us or supersede us. We see this in countless places, from Hollywood movies like The Terminator and The Matrix to Isaac Asimov's Laws of Robotics. Lyotard's pint runs in quite an opposite direction. It is not the case that our robots are becoming like us, it is rather that we are becoming more like our machines. This is especially true if our cognitive perception is not immediately given, but the consequence of computerized modeling of consciousness. If it is the case that our consciousness awareness becomes fully mediated, that is, consciousness is nothing other than a form of technological mediation, then this cannot but lead to a sense that consciousness is inherently destabilized. By destabilized, I do not mean that consciousness had a normative state which is now disrupted, rather quite the opposite. The destabilization effect is the normative state of consciousness. This destabilizing effect can be profoundly alienating. We become alienated from the material basis of reality. A lot of this position depends on what Lyotard's view of reality is, that is, what does constitute our immediate cognitive perception. For Lyotard, our cognitive perception is inherently unpredictable. Real thought exists in context, habits and traditions to be sure, but also in the sense that those contexts are inherently recontextualizing themselves. 
Conversely, if thought is fundamentally replicable and iterable, then all thought is mediated and generated rashly and algorithmically determined rather than contingent. This means that any thought we have is not singular or new and as such is eventless. There is something monstrous to this in the first instance for Lyotard. Since without an event, without concrete action, without the prospect of something new coming to pass, then this becomes profoundly alienating as there is no possibility. If life can only be structured regularity, then the unpredictable is not possible. And for Lyotard, this is not really a life worth living. Here, Lyotard is at his most disparaging. Implicit to the transformation of human perception is the possibility of a new technological barbarism. The transformation of consciousness into a computerized self does not signify any increase in truth, ethics or liberty. Here, Lyotard remains very close to Heidegger. The world in which computerized selves is the norm is a world which can no longer be revealed to us as a form of concrete action. Indeed, the pragmatics and stratagems of concrete action are wholly removed. We are useful only to the extent to which we can consider ourselves as, in Heidegger terms, a standing reserve of data, which is informationally rich or informationally impoverished, which, when it comes to things that really matter, like knowledge, sensibility, tolerance and liberty, is useless. Lyotard's initial scepticism of the postmodern condition mutates into clear technophobia. And I quote, Reinforcing this apparatus does not liberate the spirit as the Aufklärung thought. Experience shows rather the reverse, a new barbarism, illiteracy, an impoverishment of language, new poverty, merciless remodelling of opinion by the media, immiseration of the mind, obsolescence of the soul. In the opening essay of The Inhuman, Can Thought Go Without a Body, Leotard begins with a very unusual thought. He says in 4.5 billion years our sun will burn and collapse. Once this happens, if humans are still around, will be the end of all thought, as well as all recorded inscriptions of our existence. Solar catastrophe implies the end of all thoughts as well as the end of all philosophizing. In Leotard's own words, and I quote, everything is dead already if this infinite reserve from which you now draw energy to defers Defer answers. If in short thought is quest, dies out with the sun. Everything is dead already. Since all life on earth is dependent on the existence of the sun, then solar collapse implies death is pre-inscribed into all activities. Why is Leotard asking this strange question? It is ultimately a metaphysical question. Leotard sees the extinction of the sun as the ultimate limit of a technological progress. Progress continually is geared towards this distant fact. Progress implies improvement, but the ultimate impediment to progress is solar collapse. In some way, all technological development is geared towards this fact, whether wittingly or unwittingly. All human systems and forms of organisation are developing towards overcoming this eventuality. According to Leotard, this means inherent to technological development is a drive for unlimited progress. 
If technology keeps progressing, then eventually untrammeled development will require us to leave the earth, the solar system and the body. If this comes to pass, it would, though, be a form of humanity that is unrecognisable to us as human. Implicit to this development is an attempt on the part of technology to overcome finitude. Development seeks to expand indefinitely. Our all technological progress attempts to vanquish death, mortality and by extension suffering. Rather than thinking of the human being as constituted through their own finitude, the inhuman is premised on a type of infinitude. Whether this comes in mind uploading, cryogenics, virtual replicants or other digital technologies, the aim is to instantiate a form of inhumanity or, as the title of the essay suggests, having thought without a body. Interestingly, can thought go on without a body is a dialogue between a he and a she. He argues for technoscience, which helps us escape this event. She argues that such a thought would transcend gender, and that since suffering and pain only exist in a body, this would be something would, would need to be shed. Therefore, at some point in our future history, the human will be sacrificed to technoscience. And the quest to find the right kind of software to ensure extraterrestrial survival. Lyotard offers this fable as a type of provocation. He wants to elicit from us a sensitivity that thought is not reducible to computerized abstract rationality. As always, what is important to Lyotard is difference. That is anything which exists outside of systems, whether it come in the form of heterogeneity, contest, event or dissensus. These are the things which make thought worth preserving. Any technological development we engage ought to factor them into his calculations. This would be a post-humanism worth defending. It is also a philosophical post-humanism because, according to Lyotard, thought itself is anarchic, committed to the new, whereas development is concerned with thinking as fixity and precision. Thought is recalcitrant to control and exactitude. Thinking machines are simply a contradiction in terms and do not have the requisite creativity to be, a, to be a necessary condition of thought. It is unsurprising, therefore, that art is one of the primary sites of resistance to development. Here Lyotard draws on Kant's aesthetics of the sublime. Sublimity is that which exceeds cognitive understanding and is a form of aesthetic experience defined by the inexpressible. It is here where thought is at its most unsayable and unpresentable. Another way of putting this is that Lyotard wants to retain a certain sense of mystery. Thought itself is a mysterious activity. The work of art also shows how humans are essentially political, ethical and responsive beings. Art is that which suspends communication. An artwork, be it a painting, a piece of music, a film, an opera, is, at least in some minimal sense, bringing communication to a stop. Not in the sense that art is not communicating something, but the artwork renders strange or banal everyday discourse. The importance of art is that it shows that our community is fundamentally in question. Etymologically, the term community and communication are not radically different. Communio is a Latin military phrase which means roughly to have fortification. Art 
although not necessarily opposed to community formation, does show us that community is always in question, fragile, something which needs to be maintained. The function of art is its unpredictability and strangeness, its eventual nature, is thus the most important thing we have to resist development, as it reveals alternative destinations for the human species. But this would take imagination. In conclusion, Stuart Sim provides a reasonably useful description of Lyotard's post-humanism. He describes it as an anti-anti-humanism. Sim believes Lyotard still retains vestiges of the old humanism. Roughly then, for Lyotard, humanism itself is no longer tenable, but we must still resist the inhumane tendencies of the informational networks which constitute our lives. The primary reason Lyotard uses the term inhuman is because he wants to retain a sense of, of the inhumane. What is inhumane is the global informational networks which functions without regard to questions of freedom, thought and life. On the other hand, Lyotard sees the inhuman as a site of resistance to more pernicious versions of the inhuman which has just been outlined. It is important to keep this seeming contradiction in our heads when trying to figure out what Lyotard is driving at. We should also note a certain realism to Lyotard's later work in that he acknowledges that the effects on social relations have changed to such a degree that we cannot absolutely escape them since we are them. But if we are to impede the logic of development, we still need to attend, we still need to attempt to configure alternative forms of ethics, art and thought. Next time, we turn to Donna Haraway, someone who has a wholly different response to post-humanism.